Good evening and welcome to episode 98 of The Winning Agenda. Uh, tonight our panellists include the best dressed man in Netrunner, Hollis Echo. Hey guys, what's up? And our favourite lovable bioroid, Wilfred E. Horrig. How are you, Wilfie? It's great to be here. Uh, and I'm your host this week for the last time in the host chair before the triumphant return of the Big Bad Wolf, Brian Holland, next week. I'm Jesse Marshall, and I'm very much looking forward to having the Big Bad Wolf back. I'm sure you guys are as well. I miss him. Hey, I'm sure it's not like that. They love you. Oh, no, no, I meant you guys, but I'm sure they are as well. <laughs> um, no, but uh, Wilfie, you and I, uh, we just can't wait to have the Big Bad Wolf back to test for nationals, can we? We're really looking forward to it. Definitely. Yeah, should be fun. All right, uh, so on to the topics for this week, which um, we are going to be talking about Blood Money. We're going to be finally doing our corp side review of the Blood Money cards. But before we get, dive straight into that, we want to do a very quick follow-up on what we spoke about last week with Tim and Dave from the UK. Uh, for those of you who missed the episode, we spoke a little bit about IDs uh, and the effect that they were having on tournaments. And we wanted to uh, make an announcement this week that for the Sansan circuit, which is the Australian circuit of the ANRPC that the winning winning agenda has been organizing, we're actually going to be trialing a new top eight structure to try and get around the issue with IDs towards the end of Swiss rounds. Uh, So I'll just outline it very briefly for you guys, and then Wilfie and Hollis, it'll be good to get your thoughts on um, what you think of it and how you hope that it might affect uh, the tournament uh, finals at the Sansan circuit coming up next weekend. So the the basic premise is that um, instead of the entire top eight playing off and first playing eighth, second playing seventh, etc., it's essentially the top cut is split into two halves. The top half of the top cut, so we'll go with the top eight just for argument's sake, the top four playoff, and the bottom four playoff. So in the first round of the cut, the top four playoffs are actually playing for a spot in the third round of the playoffs. So they're essentially playing for a bye in the second round. So the the winner of the two top four matches get a bye. The the losers of the two top four matches go into the second round. The bottom four playoff in a single elimination round, and the two winners progress. The two winners of the bottom four bracket play the two losers of the top four bracket in the second round, and then the two winners of those matches play the winners from the top four bracket in the first round uh, in the essentially the semifinals, and then the winners of those two games progress to the final. So if you're in the top four, you essentially get a double chance guaranteed, and if you're in the bottom four, it's single elimination the whole way. Should incentivize people to play more Swiss to really aim for those spots in the top half of the cut, but it still gives people the chance who are battling away through the Swiss rounds to make it into the cut and then battle, bash their way to being champion without cutting the cut too short. What do you guys think, Hollis and Wilfie? Yeah, um, I think that this is going to be a pretty good idea to help mitigate how powerful a lot of the uh, IDs that we're seeing is seeing are uh, during the middle of the tournament. I think that by incentivizing uh, being the very top, um, being the very top seed going into the cut. Um, greatly increases your chances of overall winning the tournament, as, as it kind of should do, um, considering that to do that, you'd have to make sure that you're playing enough games to have the highest point value possible, which mitigates the you know, likelihood of, or possibility, excuse me, of you losing games uh, by playing more matches or having bad matchups uh, after the cut is, after you, after you go to the cut. So, uh, whereas before, we, we see a lot of ID for people squeak in, in 6th and 7th and so on and so forth by making sure they ID um, a lot during the tournament. 
there is a really big advantage for being first or second seed. Um, so much so that I think this is a pretty good balance for knowing that you know a lot for for knowing the IDs can happen, but um, you're extremely disadvantaged for not being you know in seed one or two or for that matter three or four. So I like it. How about you, Wilfie? Any thoughts? Um, it's it's quite similar to a, a structure that's been adopted in the Magic Pro Tour. I think is that right? Is that something that you're familiar exactly. with? Exactly. The basic, yeah, a very similar thing is happening. Um, as of the next Pro Tour, I'll limit the magical discussion, but it works in a similar way. Where, from what I recall, the top two seeds get a buy, and the bottom, so six and seven, uh, six, five and six, or five and eight, and then six and seven play off for a spot in the what is functionally the two quarterfinals yep does that make sense yep so it's it's very yeah, similar so... to the structure we've adopted except in the magic structure um first and second have essentially already won that first round uh yes to the best of my knowledge but essentially it, it definitely works a very similar way um but it's already it is interesting to note that most netrunner players would already be sort of familiar with the kind of um, rationale that goes into this sort of thing because the same thing happens in double elimination top 8s or top 16s top cuts in general where if you do very well in the early half of the um, double elimination bracket you get uh, you essentially have to play fewer matches you get buys compared to the players who lost earlier so it's basically the same structure, except in the Swiss rounds. So it's bringing some of the effect of that back into the Swiss rounds and making that carry over into the double elim rather than essentially starting fresh in the double elim? Yes, which I think is a logical, a sort of logical progression for the structure to take. Great. So, Wilfie, you'll be a participant in the Sansan finals, so I'm sure you'll be able to give us a report back on how you think it goes. Definitely. Wonderful. Well, uh, hopefully, listeners, that's something um, that you'll be able to consider adopting in your local tournaments just to give it a go to shake things up if you're finding that IDs are becoming a problem. Um, And we look forward to hearing your feedback on trying this and other ideas to try and shake up the tournament structure a little bit. But now I think we'll move on to the main topic for this week, which is Blood Money. Uh, It's the corpse side of Blood Money, and the first card is Fairchild 2.0. It's a Codegate Bioroid AP, Res 4, Strength 3, Influence 2. It's a Haas Bioroid card. The runner can spend two clicks to break up to two subroutines on Fairchild 2.0. The first subroutine is the runner must pay two two credits or trash one of his or her installed cards. It's got that subroutine again, and then it's got do one brain damage subroutine. Wilfie, what do we think? This is the latest of your brethren. Does it cut the mustard? Yes, a, a veritable who's who of Byroids on this podcast today. In terms of Fairchild 2.0, I think it fulfills a bit of a different role to Fairchild 1.0 in that it's a more generic mid-rangey ice rather than a ice which costs the bare minimum for both the corp and the runner to deal with. Um, but actually, I think it's quite strong. The double, uh, the 2.0 Byroid ability is a bit different to evaluate than the 1.0 Byroid ability um, in the sense that, you know, a corp who runs with their second, a runner who runs with their second last click can't break it at all as opposed to being able to break the most detrimental subroutine like with 1.0s, but also the fact that it has two duplicated abilities and one different ability 
kind of um, works with that structure as well. Um, but the, I guess the drawback to Fairchild is that one, it doesn't end the run, which is not necessarily a terrible thing in a uh, in an ice, but does limit its usefulness against some of the main things that you want your ice to stop, like um, account siphon or uh, multi access account siphon server multi access or other events that are very uh, detrimental, and also that a runner which has a runner who has a significant credit advantage over you can mitigate this card without too much damage to them. It does also, sorry to interrupt you there, but just on that point, it makes it uh, another card that's not great on remotes, which I think there are a lot of now in HB Ice. Yeah, it just has, it is, I think, quite powerful in the sense that it takes, from the moment that the runner runs into this ice, it takes them quite a significant resource um, loss to deal with it, but just the fact that it doesn't really do what you you want your mid-range ice to do, which is both be a pain for the runner to deal with, but also allow you to protect your servers early in the most critical stage of the game makes it difficult to include. Although it's so it's reasonably efficient, so I wouldn't if Yog isn't that big of a factor for Corpse, which I don't think it is at the moment, I would still expect maybe to see this in a deck that doesn't necessarily want Turing or wants more similar sized code gates in addition to Turing. But I think Turing in general is a bit stronger than this card. It's probably also worth pointing out that this does it is probably better against Anarchs than any other faction given that Anarchs tend to run with fewer cards installed and I can definitely foresee a lot of situations against an HB deck where an Anarch player might um, you know, play a breaker early um, or play you know, a couple of non- program cards down early perhaps wild sides etc uh, and then poke around at the centrals and if they are running late in their turn and they don't have the two clicks to break um, fairchild with clicks they might find that they've got a key card that's trashed that gives them quite a tempo setback i guess what i'm saying is that i think the teeth on this card are quite realistic in that you can get some good things out of it early um, and yes once they have a credit lead on you later it becomes less good although still taxing four is quite a bit um for people who are just paying through it without breakers but yeah is that chance to trash cards early um enough to make it playable or do you think which is sort of what i found that it's hard to include this and itchy and then you've got all the other uh, biroids like ravana uh, vikram that it's hard to really include any of those other ones other than itchy for me that's what i find do you find the same thing or yeah i i will say i guess that's a good point that ravana is i think really really powerful and makes uh byroids like this which are kind of on the edge of playability a bit better and i could definitely see this card seeing play in the new hb identity just because byroids are so strong so synergistic with the idea ability um so i would say those two factors would push it into playability yeah, so we could see um, some more sort of all Byroid decks making an appearance, utilizing Ravana and that massive three credit discount. It's three credits, isn't it? The idea. Yeah. yeah, and I don't actually think that's such a bad idea. But in reference to your question, I would expect most runners, like runners get so rich so quickly nowadays that I would expect most runners not to be caught out by this card. Mm-hmm. 
So at worst, it's probably going to be a tempo setback, which is not really what you as the court want to be spending four on early, necessarily. No, but I think it, if you have enough synergies, it's at the range where it could be efficient. Yeah, I just, uh, I th- I agree with you very much with what you said earlier about, you know, in, in a non-Architects uh, of Tomorrow deck, how difficult it is to f- uh, find the inclusion of a card like Fairchild. Uh, Itchy is a very strong card. It's high impact because of the trash and programmability. So swapping that for a card that takes away your ability as the corp to trash a program to allowing the runner to kind of uh, adjust their board as necessary or take the necessary hit to, you know, to avoid the card entirely seems a little worse. Um, however, I do see the benefit of having a card like this on centrals where it can be incredibly taxing when they have, when, when, you know, when a good portion of their board is set up and it's fairly expensive for the majority of the code gate breakers that aren't Yogg uh, to break this. Even if you're running a refractor, the fact remains that this card is going to cost a stealth credit and probably you'll pay for the full extra three credits. Um, for Passport, it costs five. For cards like Gordian Blade, you know, still just as bad, it costs four. Um, considering that this card is basically costing you on the corpse side for a pound for pound breaker, or excuse me, a pound for pound ice, is actually usually a pretty good balance there uh, for what we find on the corpse side. We usually want to make the runner pay about as much as we invest into the card, with the rare exception being some win encounter ability or some something, some other factor that makes the card worth including, um, uh, not worth that same sort of value. Uh, but I dig it. I think in Architects of Tomorrow, where this card could potentially be res for nothing, um, this seems really, really amazing, especially when combined with Fairchild 1, maybe, where you pay one, they pass it, and then you get to res this for free. That's pretty cool. The next card in the pack is Ike. It is an Ice Codegate Psy AP. Res 1, Strength 3, Influence 2. Uh, it's a Genteki card. First subroutine reads, you and the runner secretly spend 0, 1, or 2. Reveal spent credits. If you and spent a different number of credits, the runner draws 2 cards. So Psy to make the runner draw 2 cards. Then subroutine do one net damage, do one net damage, subroutine do one net damage. What do you think of this, Hollis? Ooh. Um, so it's a one cost, three strength code gate. Um, so normally I would say the, the cost here is pretty neat. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of, of really cheap cards like this. And the fact that it does two net damage is really, really cool. Just from the, you know, just from the get-go, a one, a one cost card that a two, two net damage. Is really interesting. The issue I have is the draw two ability that works on the Psy because it feels like you're actually, you know, you're doing net damage, but you're replacing their hand a bit. And I'm not sure, you know, most kill decks, that's the optimal way to, to kill the runner. But then again, I also see the advantage of this, that Psy game technically resolves first. So I see the benefit in making sure they get additional cards in their hand and then it's possible with the net damage to nick cards that they've just drawn. But, um, I really am not, uh, I'm really not sure if this would actually be a card I personally would see myself playing with in Jinteki. It, it's, it's within Yogg range, and like we mentioned earlier with, uh, with Fairchild, while Yogg isn't common, it's still a thing. Uh, that makes the fact that it costs one to res not as bad of a sting, because you're not paying so much. But in my experience, any card that potentially, that potentially lets the runner draw additional cards on the corp side is usually not great. So we've got a sort of a Harvester ability here, but it's probably quite a bit better than Harvester because net damage is much better than just the runner discarding down themselves. 
if the runner breaks one of the subroutines, i.e. the draw subroutine, then the other two are actually just bad for them. Whereas with Harvester, if they break one of the draw threes, they're actually drawing three from the other one. Um, and if they spend two to break the two net damage subroutines on this, they're still sighing to draw two cards. Um, so they're not guaranteed to get it. And if you're playing in a Nisei division, you can spend zero, you can force them to pay a credit to draw those two cards, or you can you know bluff them out. Obviously, it's a side game. Maybe they'll spend one and then they'll not even get the two cards anyway. So it's significantly better than Harvester, I think. That's not saying much. I think Harvester is one of the worst ice in the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it could see some play, and it could even see some play outside of Jinteki just as a, a cheap ice to do some net damage. I don't know. What do you think, Wolfie? I'm a little more skeptical. I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about it um, with the new Jinteki identity, since that seems to be, those two things seem to go together. And if that Jinteki ID is good, the stack attack identity, which I'm very, very skeptical about, then this card will probably be a good inclusion in that deck. I think this card is comparable to Yugura in that they both have two subroutines which you want to fire, and this which uh, have a reasonable benefit, and this trades three extra strength for a subroutine which is not always beneficial, which I'm not so sure if that's a great trade, and Yugura's, I think, already a little under playability, but it's definitely still playable. So I think this card... I guess, like Fairchild, would require some synergy in order to be good, just because I'm not sure whether resing it at, at all stages in the game is really a benefit to the corp. The next card in the pack is Enforcing Loyalty. It's an Operation Double Grey Ops. Cost 2, Trash 1. So it's one of the operations of the trash cost. Influence 1, it's a Jinteki card. As an additional cost to play this operation, spend a click. Trace 3. If successful, trash an installed card that does not match the faction of the runner's identity. Hollis, what do you think of this? This is really, really fun. To me, to me the cards like this are some of the most fun cards that I usually never play with. Um, and that sounds really negative, and I know it does, but trashing a card, trashing an out-of-faction card or neutral card on the runner side for uh, a Trace 3 doesn't seem that bad considering that Jinteki, uh, Jinteki generally doesn't have a super good, reliable way to tag the runner. Um, beyond that, this card is one influence. So clearly, it's meant to sort of be splashed all over the place um, across any ID, I guess, or any faction. Um, it is expensive, though. It's two credits, and it's an additional click. And then on top of that, you pay the trace cost to get rid of that card. Um, so while I very much like the idea that I can uh, stop or kill my opponent's Beth Kill Rang Chang, or you know, or kill my opponent's uh, professional contacts if they're importing it somewhere else. I'm uh, or the Plascrete even. I don't know if this cost is good enough to warrant its use. There's a couple cards we we already know of that that uh, that can trash card that can trash cards in the runner's play area that would normally mitigate, like you mentioned, uh, Plascrete, uh that can mitigate. Uh, cards that save the runner, things like um, power shutdown, things like power grid overload, which I think often gets overlooked. Uh, snatch and grab is, I think, the clear comparison. When when I consider all those things, this card is niche because it, it had, the card has to be out of faction, and it's interesting that it has to be so far. It has to be out of faction considering the cost associated with this. The fact that it costs two, it's a trace three, it takes an extra click, and then it's a one for the runner to trash. It's a hard sell to me. I don't know. 
for me for me it seems like this card is made to be used with consulting visit but then it takes your whole turn so you know it's obviously most consistent it's harder for them to trash if you're just fetching it out of your deck from somewhere deep down they're never going to find it and trash it before you're able to do that but are you going to be able to pay two for consulting visit two for this three clicks and out trace them just to kill one installed card that's a tall order and it means that the card you've got to be killing has to be a really really high priority for you i'm not sure if there are consistently enough cards on the runner side that are a high enough priority um i tried splashing this into some whale index just to see if it was good enough to deal with the plus creed sports hoppers things like that and uh, yeah i just think the the tempo hit from fetching it out with consulting visit and playing it is just too high what do you think wolfie yeah, I would agree. I think this card just has too many drawbacks to be good, um, especially with how fast runners can generate credits nowadays. It just seems like it didn't really need to both cost to be a double, trace, only trash car- out-of-action cards, and also, most importantly, have a trash cost, I think. I think without a trash cost, it's actually similarly powered to other cards, which do sort of trace if you win the trace you get to destroy a subset of cards but making it have a trash cost is such a like if you compare it to boom which i know might not be necessarily fair but boom is so far above the curve in terms of power level that it would be ridiculous to imagine it costing what it is and not having a trash cost whereas this is yeah. not close to that level um and how about the next card the next card is also a double with a trash cost um it's called hatchet job it's an operation double, another Grey Ops. Cost two, again. Cra- trash of zero, though. Influence two. As an additional cost, spend a click, so it's a double. Um, trace five. If successful, add an installed non-virtual card to the runner's grip. What do you think of this one, Wolfie? Uh, I think basically everything we talked about with enforcing loyalty is true, except instead of killing the card, which is quite a powerful ability, it instead returns it to the runner's hand, which is not it's uh, there aren't many situations where it's actually better than killing it no and like there definitely some come up but not enough to make this close in power level to the card above it which is not too good i mean i'm sure you guys can have other stuff to say but it really does seem quite similar to the previous card mm. what do you think Hollis? i i agree uh, all right, we'll move on to the next card. Um, special Report. It's another operation. It costs one. It's two influence. It's an NBN card. Shuffle any number of cards from HQ into R&D. Draw that number of cards. Wilfie, what do you think of this one? Um, in general, I'm not a huge fan of cards which are sort of much better when you're behind than when you're ahead, as in when you don't have cards that you really want to keep in your hand and i mean of course that happens sometimes but i don't really tend to put cards into my deck that only work in that sort of situation um i think it's similar to election day i know every card now i've said is similar to some previous card but i think we're getting to that point in the game where that comparison is reasonable so it's sort of like it's like election day i think which is already not a card that has seen any play but it doesn't can't actually give you any advantage it can't help you dig really deeper into your deck than the cards you already have um but as in return for that you can also keep some cards and 
ditch other cards, which I think is the biggest weakness for election day. But also when I think about it, MBN already has the best sort of card manipulation. Even if you exclude Jackson, it has anonymous tip, Sensi, Lily Lockwell. And so this sort of card, I think doesn't really do much that the faction doesn't want already. CI Fund is the first Whalen card. It's an asset res zero, trash two, influence one. When your turn begins, you may move up to three from your credit pool to CI Fund. Now I'm getting deja vu here, let's continue. When your turn begins, place two credits on CI Fund from the bank if there are at least six credits on it. Definite deja vu. Two credits and trash. Take all credits from CI Fund. Hollis, what do you think? Jesse, you're the Whalen guy. Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, I'll state that I don't like it. Yeah. Because it's super risky. It's it's zero two, which is fine. Sure. We you know, the political the political cards are like that. Whatever. But it's knowing I have to take three credits from my existing credit pool, add them to this card. This card has to be protected the entire time while this is occurring. I don't start making money on this card until I've dumped six on it. So in a nutshell, I have an asset that costs two to trash. I have to keep it in play for two whole turns. Before the runner actually sees what's going on, they don't trash it as money gets loaded on it. And then only after that, beginning on turn three, after I've technically have lost six, I can add two on it. And if I, I can add two credits on it. But to take the money off of it, I have to pay two. So really the runner has four turns to run it before you actually make a net gain off it. Yes, which is garbage. Like I, I just don't turns. even... Yeah. I just, there's no way. There's no way. Like, is, am, did, I miss a, did I miss a beat here? Is something about this better than what I've stated? Because it doesn't, it seems, it's, this seems like it stays in the binder to me. Wilfie? I think this is one of the worst cards in Netrunner. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. I think it's really I, yeah. bad. Yeah, it's, like, it seems not awful. Just, not just in power level, but just the fact that they keep on giving the faction that already gets the least cards the worst cards yep yep and um i think continuing that trend we have another rather mystifying operation coming up next it's an operation double gray ops transaction cost one influence one it's wayland as an additional cost to play it you spend a click trash any number of resed cards and gain three for each card trashed now has trashing your own cards as the corp been something good so far in the game ever and do you think this is going to change that wilfie I don't know, I just don't see the purpose of all these safety valve cards, like the idea that things are going really badly, let's try and salvage some of the resources that we've spent on these cards that are now useless. Like, isn't the whole point of playing cards in your deck that your strategy is such that they don't become useless or that you try and minimize the situations in which they become useless? Like, that's why you know if you have quandary or something in your deck it's still good even in the late game because if you're playing quandary presumably every credit that the runner has matters or something like that yeah and we often see games that come down to one credit here or there but yeah with something like this particularly for a um an economy card in your deck to rely on you doing so badly that you have cards in play that you've already paid for that are now completely useless seems like a strange way to design your deck i agree i, I think that there's so many, like, if, if this, then if that things to be said about not only liquidation, but also cards like CI fund. Like, the thing I forgot, just real quickly to bounce back, something I forgot to mention about CI, the, the biggest benefit of the card 
is that you can use it when the ru- the runner runs it, but who cares? Anyway, um, but as far as liquidation goes, like I I agree. Unless they start having these cards where all of a sudden you have cards that have a benefit or have an effect when they're trashed, um, that trigger from this. Like for example, a card that says when this card is moved from play to your discard pile without being trashed by the runner. I don't know, but yeah, but but right now, like. Th- I agree with you. Like, if, if I put a card in my deck, it's primarily going to do one of two. It's either going to be good on its own merits. Most of the time, it's going to be good on its own merits. Or it's going to be great in combination with other cards that, that it's with. So, in order for liquidation to make sense, and not and me not to just straight up use a different economy card, um, I would need um, another card that helps push this advantage out. I get it. Liquidation lets me throw away, for one credit and two clicks, liquidation lets me go from one credit to ten. Sure, that's pretty good. Um, to gain just eight credit or to gain nine credits like that, but I'm losing three valuable cards that I've played. So often considered, I gain nine, but I've lost the clicks available to play the cards that I'm now trashing and the money I use to res those cards if there was money involved. So w- am I actually gaining anything? If anything, I'm at best I'm like breaking even. So I don't, I don't think so. I just don't like it. We'll move on to the next card. It's a an identity. It's the first Wayland identity we've seen in a while. It's called Builder of Nations. It's an identity megacorp, deck 40, influence 12. 12 influence Wayland's identities, not something that have seen a lot of success in the past, but will persevere. The first time the runner encounters a piece of ice with at least one advancement token on it each turn, do one meat damage. Uh, I'll just quickly start off with this. I think it's awful. Um, advanceable ice is not something that's ever taken off as a mechanic. Um, the advanceable ice we've seen so far have just been so far below the power curve. Um, the abilities attached to them don't ever seem to take into account the tempo disadvantage of spending time advancing them, as opposed to just having ice that are good without having to invest additional clicks in them. Um, and this ability only triggering once a turn. Uh, requiring the runner to make a decision of their own volition to run on your server that has an advanced advanced ice in it, um, and only doing one meat damage, just doesn't seem like it's going to be good enough with the current suite of advanceable ice, certainly, to come remotely close to seeing play. But even with something like Morseless, I'm not sure that it this additional effect, particularly with 12 influence, I mean, that drawback is bizarre. I'm not sure that this effect is going to be the one that you're going to be looking for. If you had more powerful advanceable ice in Wayland, I'd be looking to play them in another ID. What do you think, Wolfie? Yeah, I just really don't know where they were going with this one. I understand that they want to, in this cycle, they want to sort of make some archetypes that are core to the faction, but that haven't necessarily seen as much success in the faction i say that but then halfway through the sentence i realize that controlling the message just is the same as the other good nbn identity but aside from that i think the point is still valid um in that this sort of makes you want to play a glaciery deck that kind of grinds the runner down but just there aren't very many good tools and especially in Wayland there aren't any good tools at all I think to do that especially when your deck building is already so constrained by the number of cards that this ability actually works with which is a vanishingly small 
number of the actual good ice in the game. And mind-bogglingly, in a slow, grindy control deck, why would you want a 40-card deck? Yeah, it's in terms of benefits, it's one of the more weirdly placed ones. Mm. Yeah, so um, not quite sure, but uh, we may see some more cards in the rest of the cycle that make this work, but as it stands now, I just can't see this ever being a choice for people over the other existing Wayland IDs, particularly, I mean, even if there are more advanceable ice released, but that may change. Um, Financial Collapse is the first neutral card. It's an operation, cost zero, influence zero. Play only if the runner has at least six credits. The runner loses two credits for each installed resource. The runner can trash a resource to prevent this. Wilfie, you're not quite a fan, usually, of the cards that allow your opponent a choice. Do you think this one's good enough to overcome the inherent drawback of giving your opponent a choice? The lesser of two evils. Hmm. I don't think so. The f- it is um, notable that it is a way to trash resources without requiring the runner to be tagged, which is d- definitely a unique ability and one which we saw in Snatch and Grab before. And not that very, not very many cards um, in the game's history. But the problem is that not only does the runner choose whether they want their resources to be trashed or whether they have so much money that they can afford to lose some um, or so few resources that they don't mind losing some money but also if they do choose to have their resources trashed they get to choose which resource to trash so you're kind of holding this card until the situation comes up where the runner has so many resources that it's actually worth playing but also all of those resources are vital to their game plan which just never happens yeah, it just seems like the the two abilities are pulling in two different directions. And if you like the Venn diagram, the the point where they overlap in usefulness is extremely slim, if not not non-existent. There may not even be a Venn diagram. Yeah, one of our I wouldn't spend energy trying to draw it or anything. What do you think, Hollis? Well, actually, I have a question for Wolfie. Um, Wolfie, uh, I mean, just overall looking at the card. I mean, the flavor. Are we going to talk about the flavor? How do you feel about the the message that's clearly uh, made in the card art about how financial problems can put a strain on a loving and comfortable and happy family? Do you think that Matt Zollinger tapped into something personal in his childhood when he made the when he made this art, or do you think that this is just something that he did sort of just freehand, not even considering? the real world like application or implications of this um i think that that is for the artist to say um but i do like the idea of fleshing out the world through cards like showing i like the idea of showing the characters who we care about in cards in like you know, kind of exploring their backstory. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the most in-depth flavor conversation that Wolfie Harig has ever had in his life. <laughs> well, I even yep. preempted it, so I knew it was coming, and then, you know, I'll give the listeners what they want. Thanks for that, Hollis. Yeah, and did you have a follow-up? Or? Yeah, just in general, I, I agree very much with what you guys are saying. It, it, there's, there's so much about... Uh, when I first saw this card, I, uh, I jumped a bit, because I, I thought to myself, oh, what a really cool idea. I can... I can, you know, give them a little sting for, um, you know, without having to tag them. 
But then I realized, just in general, the meta also has kind of gone weird. Like, the meta's all over the place right now, I think, because there's a lot of tag options, right? Sync and CTM are very common decks um, that we're seeing. And uh, because we're seeing that, we're also seeing less of a dependency on heavy resource decks, the exceptions being things like what, uh, uh, you know, Dan's, uh, or in general, any DLR deck. But then when you look at those decks, you go, well, they have Fall Guys. You know, they have, they have so many other tools um, to help save resources. A card like this that make, effectively makes them trash a resource um, doesn't really do a heck of a lot because don't, that, that, would, that would mean this card's only really great in those cases in, like, multiples. And I don't, I don't see this as a 2 or 3x card you slot. So, um, like, its playability seems uh, quite reduced, especially in the current meta when more and more resources are resources are seeming more and more like suspect to to play often given the fact that there's so many decks that can tag you now um i think the best thing about the card is the beautiful this beautifully made art on it to be honest with you oh it's fantastic it tells a brilliant story yeah yeah it really does the flavor text the title yeah the effect the art, it's, it's wonderful. And so the next card we have today is Pricek. <laughs> Pricek is an upgrade <laughs> ambush. Res zero, trash three, infinite. Do I continue? Yes. Uh, influence zero. If the runner accesses Pricek while installed, you may pay two credits to give the runner one tag and do one meat damage. The flavor text is, while the money pulled at the top, the power went with it until there were two sets of laws, one for them, one for us. Omar Kung, the flashpoint. Tell us what do you think of this flavor text. I think that the uh, flavor text, especially... Um, no, I'm sorry. I don't want to stop antagonizing <laughs> Wilfie. Um, uh, Wilfie, no. what do you think of this card? Hollis can talk first. It's cool. Okay. Sorry, Hollis, you go. Uh, I, I dig it. This card seems obviously good. And it seems like uh, the bad Wayland cards that we saw, that this card was... I think they made a mistake. I think Liquidation was meant to be a neutral card. And they were like, and oh, this no. this was meant to be Wayland? Yeah, I think this card was meant to be Wayland and balance it out. And they just kind of... They, they, Somebody forgot to add color. I don't know. Like, there, it's just a simple <laughs> button in paint. You just fill. Um, but no, I, I think that uh, this is a very good card. A zero to res ambush that gives you the choice as the corp whether or not you want to use it. Now, granted, I don't see why you wouldn't. I think it's only if you didn't have the money, right? And this is one of the first upgrade ambushes we've seen, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, Apart yeah. from yeah. Cyberdex, I think it might be the only one, or at least the only one I can remember that's strong enough to be playable. Yep. Mm. And, and that adds a lot of flexibility in terms of being able to be played in remotes and on centrals. Um, being able to threaten to give runners tags pretty much automatically, as long as you have two credits, when they run on your centrals is a pretty damn powerful ability. The thing that stands out to me about this is that it allows for um, decks that wouldn't necessarily have room for traps, like cards which punish the runner when they're accessed, to fit this card in, just because being an upgrade gives it, as you said, so much flexibility with where it can go. Like, I think if you care about tag giving the runner tags at all, and also want to score things through emotes, then this card basically is good in every situation in those kind of decks. The one drawback is it does cost money to trigger, but I think that's not a huge deal given how flexible it is to have access to during a game. And I think as a non-region upgrade, one of having a three trash cost is also really huge uh, because you can obviously have it in a server with a sand sand with some other upgrade and also with an agenda or an asset. 
Um, and that creates, even for Wizard, a significant cost to trash all these cards. Um, and like um, all the other ambush is um, the NBN1 product placement. Oh, that's true. And like, like product placement, if they don't trash it, you can get more value off it again next time, which the same can't be said for ambushes like Snare or Psychic Field because once they know what it is, the fact that they can't trash your Psychic Field is not a big issue as long as they remember that it's a Psychic Field. Exactly. Whereas with this, you can install something else on it and they kind of groan and go, oh, I've got to go in there again and take the effect again. Um, could someone seriously, if any of our listeners know, can someone seriously let us know why it isn't Wayland? <laughs> Yeah, this joins a, a long list of cards that we scratch our heads and wonder why it's neutral rather than Wayland. Like, this means that, like, technically NBN decks can... I'm just, I'm just... To me, it adds to the problem that we saw before, sort of. NBN decks could inf, can use influence to go grab the Scorch, the Scorch Earths and the Traffic Accidents, along with having cards like San San and things like that, maybe, and then throw this card to increase its likelihood of being able to kill... Like, it just seems like... You would want to keep a tool like this in Wayland, which is the ID that's been lowered in power level because it can kill you, and it's not there. I just want to point out quickly that you can play a deck with three Cobra, three Assassin, three Prysec, three Consulting Visit, three Executive Search Firm, and still have all your influence to spend on other things, which doesn't even remotely seem fair. <laughs> Thank you for that analysis, Wilfie. And on that note, uh, I think we'll wrap up our episode for this week. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in to episode 98 of The Winning Agenda. We're still stoked that we've managed to get this far. 98 episodes is an astonishing amount. Um, So thank you all for coming on this journey with us so far. We're really looking forward to our 100th episode in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, And as we mentioned at the start of the episode, we we cannot wait to have the Big Bad Wolf back in the host chair next week. So that's a lot for you to look forward to. 100th episode in two weeks' time, the Big Bad Wolf back next week, uh, and who knows what sort of exciting topics we'll have to talk about in the lead-up to our, uh, sorry, in the follow-up to our Nationals. Good luck to everybody uh, who's playing at Nationals. Uh, I guess that's you and me, Wolfie, um, and all of our listeners as well, and we hope to talk to you very soon. If you want to get in touch with us on Twitter, we are at Winning Agenda. If you want to get in touch with us on Facebook, we are The Winning Agenda. Our email is thewinningagenda at gmail.com, and if you like what we're doing, You can support us by throwing a couple of dollars our way at www.patreon.com slash The Winning Agenda. Thanks everyone for listening. See you guys. Thanks for listening this week. How fun. Mmm. Uh...